All right, what's up, everybody? I'm back. I brought Ben Ennis. Yay. Yeah. So, well, you know, you know how it is. How, You're my how security blanket in this. Is that true? 100%. What are they? Okay. When you're off for a little while, you get the, the full scaries. I can't do this. Anymore. Oh, <laughs> so I have to convince you that yeah. you can do this? Yeah, remember? I, I told you, though, when uh, I sit down and I'm on the mic, I have the confidence, and when I'm away, it's gone. Yeah, all I have right. the imposter syndrome. Yeah. So you're feeling good? You don't need me? Or you're not sure? I'm not sure yet. Let's see how the first five minutes goes. If I have one good take, <laughs> then... I am pretty good at smiling and nodding. So yeah, like, you are. And you have a big head. Buddy. You have a huge head. Yeah, so, so when you you're can smiling see and yeah, nodding, everybody yeah. sees and they go, <laughs> yeah. look at this big, agreeable God. guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, though. Like, you I need that positive feedback. Career. You could have had some other career because you would have been a model. No, but you you could have just been a yes man. Do you want a good yes man? You would have mm, been. Yeah, because of the nodding. I I, I suppose it's weird because you're a contrarian with your peers, but to any authority figure, you're, <laughs> you're not a yes man. There's uh, yeah, there's agreeable and disagreeable people in the world, and disagreeable like sounds bad, but you're yeah. a disagreeable person. Like sure. yeah, no, you 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 don't just go along, just go with the flow, and no. you need. Not everybody can be agreeable people, right? No one would get anywhere if everyone just agreed and didn't push back on it. Yeah. I am very much an agreeable person. It's hard when you're so you disagreeable. That, you think you think that you're so agreeable? Yeah, I think I'm very agreeable. Really? Like I think I really hmm. I don't necessarily don't you, want to push back. Why don't why doesn't that happen with me? Um, because so you're blaming me. You're saying my level of disagreeable. Yes, it takes me to another level. Oh. Yeah, because like you're so disagreeable that if I'm my normal level of agreeable, I get uh, doormatted with you. Well, this isn't making me feel much better. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) You already blew it. Uh, You already blew it. It was you had one job: nod your big head and smile. Okay, and so you're like you're so disagreeable, you make me a different person. Oh. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> guess, I'll, guess I'll go about the show now. Guess I'll go about my opinions. How's this for size? No, that's, I, how gonna, that's how. That's how I'm going to start all my takes from now on. When I have no, when I have no confidence. How's this for size? That'll be my new bit. And then I throw it out there, and people go boo. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I'm going to feel like you. Yeah, call me. I don't think you you went into this believing that you were anything but disagreeable. I think you're you're well aware of of how you approach things and and our difference in personalities. I think this is an unfair characterization, <laughs> which is me being disagreeable. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I was thinking coming in here today, how awful this region is when it comes to sports right now. Oh my goodness. No, because I think that this is the worst kind of sports hell, which is there are a lot of people who live here who are fans of the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. the Buffalo Bills, mm-hmm. the Toronto Maple Leafs, mm-hmm. and the Toronto Raptors. And essentially, you have three teams that were supposed to be contenders but don't really look like contenders. And then the fourth team, which is the clear not contender, is going, we so badly want to be that. We Mm. so badly want to be a fraud contender. We're just dying to be fraud contenders, even though, weirdly, okay, out of those four teams, who are you most optimistic about right now? I mean, if Scotty Barnes is yeah. going to be a top 15 player in the NBA, like it, it, it makes me look back at the Jakob Pertl trade differently. It makes mm. me think about it. This, it it this certainly tra- does. It makes it worse. <laughs> oh, it makes it much worse. Oh, it makes it infinitely much worse. Dude, 
they have too many guys that are packed in the paint. The Scotty Barnes thing. Yeah, it's but, great but, that but, he can shoot but, with two feet on the ground. But Pascal's going to be, he's going to be traded. Like we all. For what? I, it's tough. He's got to hit some shots. Imagine Masai. <laughs> imagine Masai with the teams right now. He's like, yeah, Atlanta, about uh, those first round picks. They're like, first round picks. <laughs> we the, said, we said. the NBA we draft? Said, yeah, we said picks. <laughs> no, Seattle will get some kind of a trade. But sure. it just, it, it's funny watching the raps because I'm both optimistic about uh, more optimistic about the future because of the way Scotty started the yeah. season. How could you not? You can't fail if you have a top 15 player, right? right? He's just been very enjoyable. He's been very good. Although there's, there's, I will say, as someone who's been consuming a ton of NBA, uh-huh. there's a lot of, holy crap, this guy looks amazing right now, and uh-huh. I don't know what to, yeah. Oh, we saw a lot of that in the bubble. Who was the bubble king? Oh, there's a bunch of bubble kings that. Well, yeah. the bubble king was uh, T.J. Warren. Yes, <laughs> but he was already an established player. Sure, but like another. I'm talking level. about no, no, no. I'm talking about young players around the league. Mm-hmm. Some of which. Look oh, you very... don't believe in Wemby? I got it. You oh, I very much a... believe in Wemby. <laughs> I want to talk to you. Start. I want to talk to you about Wemby. But yeah, it's it's just okay. I don't think I don't think the Bills. I, I'm I've I've been holding on to Bills stock. Mm-hmm. I've been telling people. Ariel Hawani came on and he was a little down in the dumps about it. I've, I have lots of Bills fans, friends, and I've actually been, for such a disagreeable person, mm-hmm. I've been the one pumping their tires going, this is where you want to be, where people don't believe in you and you don't have all the hype and you're not everybody's favorite Third team. in the AFC East, that's where you want to be. No, that not, not after yesterday I went, this isn't where you want to be, <laughs> where the team that beat the brakes off you last year in the postseason did it again. And and let's be Scored real. Scored effortlessly yeah, on let's, their first let, drive. Let's be real. Let's let's be let's be very clear and honest, Bills fans. You were never in that game. No. It was always you were kind of around getting back yeah. into that game, and then you were sort of kind of into the game, and then Joe Burrow went, watch this. <laughs> and you guys went, All right. Yeah. Bills, Bills, the window. The window isn't closed because you have Josh Allen, so you can build different teams around Josh Allen. But but this iteration of the team, to me, it's it's they're not going to win. They're not going to beat the Ravens. They're not going to beat the Bengals. Oh, my God, they're definitely not going to beat the Bengals. I just need to double down on this take. Mm. Imagine being a Bills fan and showing up and having to play the Bengals in the postseason going, we can do this. Mm. What What kind of a miracle would have to befall you for this to happen? I don't even think that the Chiefs are kind of crap, too, but... Either way, I no, just don't think the matter. Bills are going to win. Uh, although, I mean, they, they've had pretty good regular season yeah. and postseason, not success, but like almost success, sure. 13 seconds almost, away yeah, from were, success. Again, like dude. they have a better shot against the Chiefs than they do. Like you feel better uh, but like about a Chiefs-Bills postseason matchup than you do a Bengals-Bills all, matchup. All I'm trying to say here in a very long-winded, windy, kind of confusing way oh. is <laughs> for me as a sports fan now, someone who works in this, right, who has to oh. watch all these teams and all these games, and I'm not just, you know, Raptors. I'm not just Leafs. I'm not just football, right? I do them all. Mm-hmm. I prefer watching a team where there's some kind of, you know, the real optimism around the team is either you're a contender mm-hmm. or you're trying to build towards something. And it feels like with three of the teams that I referenced, they already tried to build towards a thing. And... Huh. They failed. I don't know if you can say the Leafs failed because I would say hockey is the one sport that if you, yeah, if you get on a heater yeah. and, yeah, I mean, even if you yeah, get outplayed in ta- six but, games, but, but, you can Benny, win the series against about. the Lightning. I watched, I watched the Vegas Golden Knights. 7 nothing yeah, over the I did. Avalanche? I watched them. I actually just watched the third period. Yeah, but then they lost in regulation yeah. after that. They've now lost in regulation, yeah. okay? Yeah, I know. What losers. To the Ducks who are ascendant. Uh, all I'm saying is that team... 
It's it's early. Sure, we can play this card. They just they look like oh wow yeah that team won a Stanley Cup. The Leafs yeah. are trying to cobble together all these pieces. They're over four. You got poor Bradtree living up in the media box, just sweating every night. Like, can one of you four losers just do Nobody one thing? Nobody talks good? about Noah Gregor being fast and having a yeah. goal. Oh no, actually, I think that they talk about it too much. To be honest, <laughs> I really do. Why would anyone talk about it? Because I've just seen. The, You're here, not a PTO. I follow a lot of Leafs media, <laughs> and people like to say Gregor is a good player. And I go, Are you sure? Because we see him four minutes a night, and he takes one wrist no, shot. No, sometimes the Tyler Bertuzzi gets demoted to the fourth line, yeah. and, and Noah Gregor gets more minutes. My point is, is that Petri Living is having a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> He's just begging. He's just begging. He's just shooting Tyler Bertuzzi uh-huh. text. Please don't smile on the bench when the Fred Marchand skates over. Could you just at least do that? Could you just at least can't, do that? Can't yeah. do it. Can't and, do it. And the funny thing with the Reeves signing is this is what he signed Reeves for, right? Uh-huh. All the talking, except yep. for he's the worst player in the NHL. Yeah. And so, and, yeah, it's like, can you just like yeah. step on like the ice, not every second shift and have a goal yeah. go in your own net? Like yeah. you're playing such that limited minutes like and we're deploying you now in the yeah. offensive zone can you just all the like, time please please no. forgive the love of god no, but just the the last quote with marshan where he said and i said to him you're lucky i'm not on the ice and brad marshan must have been like what did i miss your four minutes <laughs> right. did i miss the four minutes where you uh-huh. give a goal up wow boy you're right I, uh, oh you would have caught me for sure like, because you're so blazing fast and i i think if Ryan Reeves, all six foot, what four of him tries to fight Brad Marchand. Uh, I think he's going to prison. Like yeah, that looks that. like Victor Webanyama <laughs> against yeah. Dennis Schroeder. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back on track here. My <laughs> point here is that could the Leafs round into form? Could they win? Yeah. Are they going to make a trade? Sure. Will Jake McCabe come back and have a, help level out a blue line where they played one of their defensemen uh, four minutes yeah. the other night? I four minutes. Ma- Max Lejoie cracked yeah, five. That's but then, it. Well, we've yeah, been Sheldon, calling him the Raj. Yeah. <laughs> Sheldon Keefe was like, I've never seen my yeah. blue line as tired as they were at the end <laughs> yeah, of the no game. Kidding. Weirdly, only yeah. playing five of them for the entire game. Well, that's the thing. And the Klingberg signing has been awful too, right? He's. Mm-hmm. I-, I saw a stat from uh, Kevin Papetti. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I think I saved it. So let me pull it up because it's, it's pretty funny. It's one of those ones where you're like, oh my God. Oh yeah, so... Uh, John Klingberg uh, has been on for 3.85 expected goals against for 60 minutes. That was last season. No defenseman with 500 minutes was on for more. Okay. Just for Uh context, because I wouldn't know it. 3.85 without context. Me, I'm like, oh, but he says no defenseman with 500 minutes was on for more. I go, wow. Uh, This season, he's at (laughs) (laughs) 3.86. He's already exceeded. I mean, thanks for the money, Bradley. Boy, the power play really needs to hit it like 90% yeah. for, for, for Dude, John it, Klingberg to it, be it, a guy that's a positive, net positive player. Yeah, it's, it's really quite something. Anyway, will the Leafs be better? Will they be in the mix? Will they be a playoff team? I still think so. I'm not, I'm not to the point where I'm going, hey, it's doomsday. They're not going to make the playoffs. I'm looking at all. Do you know there's only one Canadian team with a winning record right now? One. Yeah, yeah the Canucks. Correct. Good, mm-hmm. bu- good job. Well, I mean, the Leafs depends on what tri- you... This ma- wasn't trivia. I wasn't trying to trip you up. Five, well, le- okay, so five, four, and two is not no. above 500. No, that's... Can you do math? It's, no, you have I, six I losses and five it. wins. I guess, yeah. It's hilarious that they're a shootout away from, yeah, not having this four-game losing streak and knocking off sure, the sure, top sure. team at the Atlanta. No, Leafs look great every night. I'm no, watching no, them going, you're really no, snake bit. No, yeah. no, 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 no. I agree with you. So... The Leafs, the Bills, and the Blues age, they just they feel like they're in the same bucket right mm-hmm. now of, yeah, they should be better, and there's reasons for optimism, and they do have really good players, and mm-hmm. there's these things that should be working, and 
yes, if you squinted, they could win and that, but no one deep down really feels like what you're watching here is a, a, a championship team mm-hmm. where you're where you're sitting down and going, damn, this is nice, championship team. You know what the excitement is. I know that the excitement yeah. is because there's two teams I watch right now that do that for me, which is the Argos, which I actually haven't seen in a month. I don't know if they're good anymore because they you're clinch not, so... you got to go on Saturday, right? I am going on Saturday, okay. but they clinch so early. They waited to the East Finals. Yeah. There was playoffs this weekend, and I went, oh, right. The mm-hmm. other teams, that's how this works. They have to play in the playoffs, <laughs> and the Argos just sit there for a bye. Yeah. they got to win one game yeah. to get in the Grey Cup, and they got to play Montreal, yeah. who stinks. Yep. Yeah. So Not Argos, as much as Hamilton, though, who stinks. I know, Hamilton, heavens. buddy. I saw, Hamil- I saw Hamilton twice this year. Yeah. It was really fun pulling up the Go Train <laughs> schedule for all the people in the Ticat yeah. stuff, being like, you could probably still catch this one <laughs> at halftime. That was great. I, yeah, but it was fun. Yeah. Argos are great. Yeah. Love watching the Argos. Bring me a lot of joy. Love watching my Washington Huskies, mm-hmm. UW Huskies this year. Mm-hmm. Every year UW is good, but they're kind of fraudulent. You know that they're going to play good teams. They're going to lay an egg. Phoenix And power. they beat Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then they beat, they made Caleb Williams cry. And yeah, if they can just beat Oregon again, they, they win that Pac-12 championship. They're going to go to the college football playoffs and probably get exposed by Georgia. They'll probably mm-hmm. lose by a thousand to Georgia. But either way, just the feeling I'm getting from this is, wow, this is a real special team. I, I don't get that feeling from the other three. The Raptors, we all thought it was going to be so boring, so incredibly boring. But yeah. Barnes has been so entertaining yes. that he's just elevating well, the, and again, the games. You can, you can dream on, on somebody like him. Yeah. Like not this season, right? Did but you like, know what Darko said after the game? What about? How he's blessed yeah. to be coaching him. Yeah, I thought that's... That's a new one. I, I mean, it makes sense, yeah. I mean, in a sport where one individual player can change your fortunes and yeah, he yeah. can't individually lift you to a championship, but he can give you hope that you can win a championship. Like, that yeah. is now the conversation we got to start having with Scotty Barnes if this is him. I don't know if he's going to be a 42% three-point shooter for the rest yeah. of his career, which is... It's not the only thing that that is that is boosting the no, offense, but, but it's a significant... No, it's a significant yeah. part of it, so that's not quite going to be, you know... As good as it's been through the the last six games and seven games uh, overall this season. But, yeah, it's a player that if he's a top 15, mm-hmm. you can start having those conversations about, like, what is the, the roster we can best uh, put together to maximize his, his championship ceiling potentially. So, yeah, like, that's uh-huh. a lot better than the team that was, you know, hoping and praying that vibes were going to get them to 45 wins this season. So... Barnes's fourth quarter yesterday. I love these stats, these modern era stats where they go, they're hyper-specific. It's like he's the only guy with 17, 5, and 5 in a fourth quarter, and it's LeBron and it's Carmelo. <laughs> and I went, all right. Okay. I'm always talking to people about the 17, sure. 5, and 5 in the fourth. <laughs> but it, it is, it, it was, yes. just, it was a great fourth quarter by him against mm-hmm. a San Antonio Spurs team that, frankly, just is, is not ready to be closing sure. out games and winning games. They're just not. Because they're be, not throwing the ball into Wemby with, like, two seconds to well, go, and I get it. Like, his, uh, okay, OG bodies him out of position. It doesn't matter. Just throw the ball in his general direction two feet over everybody else. Yeah, probably seems that. It, How are you not doing that? For a tip play, yeah. you thought it, if you could create a player in the lab for the tip play, it would be Wemby, <laughs> yeah. and then uh-huh. Popovich decided no. No. They're very careful with him too. They don't. There's a lot of the Spurs games I've watched a bunch of them now where they're just not playing him. And you go, "Come on, hey, yeah, I'm here to watch the freak." And, <laughs> you know, and, and that I was won. on in Europe yesterday. It was. was a, it? Oh yeah, it was a big like. Uh, that's why it was at that time of day. Huh. It was like prime time in Europe. Raptors, Spurs. Oh, they do play afternoon games. Raptors have done those a lot. Yeah, but that one specifically was on whatever huh. NBA. Uh, you All know. Right. 
you know, right. whatever right. program yeah. they got in Europe on anyway, Sky Sports or whatever. To me, it's it's there's a couple things happening with the Raptors. One is Barnes, just from a body language standpoint, looks completely different. Uh, I'm going to talk to Sirit about this because she, uh, I'm going to have her on the show tomorrow. She wrote a really great piece about Barnes last year and just and really knows the player in depth. But to me, what we're seeing is a guy who has bought in clearly and has basically the, the coaching hire of Darko and just the direction the franchise is going. It's pretty clear that it's going to be his team now, right? It's, he doesn't need to be the the young art start rookie last year. I think it was tough for him because mm. it, and it's, this has been reported, right? Like the older guys didn't want to go in the direction of Scotty Barnes. They went, no, we're good enough to carry this team. And then they weren't right. Mm. Pascal and Fred, the two of them now Fred's gone. And it's just, it's clear that Siakam has lost his co-pilot and Siakam out there looks, he and Gary Trent look like they don't want to be there flat out. They just, they're two guys where Gary, Gary Trent, Trent, like he, no. not wanting to be there means like you miss free throws at the no. rate that he's missing. No, like I what's mean, going on no, there dude, with Gary he, Trent? Be, dude, Gary Trent doesn't play well with the bench players. He doesn't want to be a bench player on a, mm. on a middling bad team. He's looking at this saying, why am I not playing more? He doesn't have his contract extension. He wants to put himself in a position that's really advantageous to him. Mm-hmm. He didn't really want to, well, I shouldn't say he didn't really want to. He flat out didn't want to be in Toronto in the first place. Like, that's just, that's just the truth. He bought in and he decided to be a Raptor. But I, I think that the old guys are being sort of phased out of the team. Boucher, Barn, or sorry, Boucher, Siakam, and Trent. Mm-hmm. This is the old. The new is the rest of the guys. And it's how do you fit in around Scotty? Mm-hmm. And right now, you're seeing it with a bunch of the other guys where they look great. Although, yeah, it's very early in his career, but Grady Dick just looks like, hey, look over here, attack yeah. this on defense, and it's, or, or attack this with your offense, and it works. It yeah. really works. He's kind of the wacky, waving, inflatable tube man when it comes to trying to play defense in the NBA. You go, whoa, it's different than Kansas, huh? You're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> Drew a charge, though. That was nice. Either way, it's just Scotty Barnes looks completely refreshed, rejuvenated. The attitude looks great. Looks like there's a total buy-in there. There's an effort on both ends of the floor. And, yeah, he's added a better jump shot. Mm-hmm. He's more aggressive in his attacks of the hoop. He's, pl- he's moving the ball, which is what the Raptors want to do. Mm-hmm. Looks great. It just, yeah, the, the older pieces around him, they, they don't fit. And just going back to the hurdle trade where you're like, oh, why is this? Because it, it would be so much better to have your first-round pick this year and not have uh, a paint-clogging player like Pirtle, who they they can't play Pirtle and Siakam at the same time with Scotty Barnes, mm-hmm. and it's a problem. They they got to figure out other rotations, and so you, you know you're playing seven well, foot they, five guy. They, they won't have that problem though at the deadline when they trade Pascal Siakam. <sighs> yeah, okay. We all thought they were going to trade guys last year, and if the time to trade Siakam is going to be the deadline, my guess is that it was probably the time to trade him was earlier. Right? I don't this disagree is, this with is that. always the thing. This is always it. Is we, we've it's like Masai hasn't learned this lesson over and over again. Is oh, don't worry, we'll be able to get the same deal yeah. at the deadline. Oh, don't worry, we'll be able to get the same deal in the offseason he keeps kicking the the can down the line and the offers don't material improve and he wants to dominate these trades and then he ends up having to well, stand pat yeah, like what that's, happens when pascal siakam's attempting seven shots a game and, and averaging 10 <laughs> points a game and shooting yeah you know 35 percent anyway not ideal um yeah to close out this conversation because yeah i think that yeah we're, we're getting there wemby it was nfl sunday mm-hmm. and granted my Seahawks had been obliterated. Yeah. My brother had lit up my phone to a degree oh, that... Oh, yeah. He's a Ravens fan, too. Yeah. That's bad. rough for you. I did not At least it. you were not in attendance for that one. Yeah. Thank God. 
<laughs> I told him if we were, the only play I would have had would have been to take off my Seahawks jersey and just go, yeah, I'm Jordan the Ravens. It's so bad. It's only and had the crowd cheer because otherwise it would have just been a nightmare. Yeah. It really would have been. It would yeah. have been a, such a bad beat down. Yeah. I couldn't have taken it. I'm too sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> it, would have, it would have gotten to a point that went too far. Mm-hmm. I was so excited to watch Weminyama and the Raptors game on 3.30 on a Sunday. I, I could not wait. I watched the end, that terrific Houston Texans game mm-hmm. where C.J. Stroud did his thing. After Baker Mayfield did I had, his thing. I had money on the Atlanta Falcons like an idiot because Josh Dobbs came into the game and I went, oh, I need to live bet this mm-hmm. immediately pretty heavy because if Dobbs didn't start, that means he doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. He does, And guess he what? He didn't. He didn't. No. I was right. And he gets a safety and he's yeah. got a turnover. And I went, I'm a genius. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Falcons were like, we hate winning football <laughs> games. And Arthur Smith went, we took a running back in the first round? <laughs> <laughs> Who is he? <laughs> What's his number? Mm. Uh, we have Corderell Patterson. Anyway, I, I was thinking about this. Probably recycle this take throughout the week. I think when Minyama is the number one player ever, or maybe since Shaq, in, in professional sports across the board, that you could show to a non-sports person, like someone who just doesn't watch any sports whatsoever, and go, look at that guy, mm-hmm. and they get it. Yep. Right? Because they go, how big is that guy? Immediately, right? He's playing Kevin Durant the other night. I posted that picture on my Instagram. Yeah, shooting out over just his outstretched how hand. high <laughs> he is over Kevin Durant. And how, dude, there was hilarious plays in this game because I've, I've watched a ton of Wemby's. Yeah. That's the team I've watched the most is the Spurs as much as the Raptors. I think I've watched every Spurs game except one. Right. There's, there's these plays where they're getting the ball in low to him and I went, well, that's what happens and you leave a small guy underneath the basket. And I'm like, oh, right, the small guy is seven foot Kevin Durant. Right. Who is long. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's just, it's hilarious. But yeah, it, has there ever, like baseball can't claim to ever have that player, right? It's just, it doesn't have any opportunities for you. Yeah, like the example would be like a Daniel Vogelbach type guy. Yeah. It's not be a no, tall but no, guy. No, but, no, but it's Aaron like, Judge. you gotta be great. You gotta be great too. My point is, is you gotta get them to be invested in the person. You yeah. just can't be like, cause, cause yeah, you go to a Blue Jays game and you go, look, Alejandro Kirk, like we're all taller than him, right? right. He's very unique looking, mm-hmm. but I'm talking, no, no, no. This guy is, you can say, that's the first overall pick. He's yeah. from France. Right. He's seven foot five. Mm-hmm. He can shoot three pointers. He blocks everybody to the point where it's hilarious watching teams try to attack the paint where guys get in there to spots where they normally want oh, to take I their know. shot. And they're kind like, of looking around. OG going, learned hey, his lesson yeah. very early. They, but they all have. <laughs> yeah. They're all sort of looking well, at it's it. It's even like, it, I've never seen people like rethink the three-point shot-making decisions as yeah. much as they do around Wemby. And it's not even like when he's getting a piece of the ball. Like, how many air balls did we see? And there was like a possession in the fourth quarter where there were two air balls. Yeah. Wemby didn't get a piece of either of them, but it was just like, I, how high do I have to shoot I'm this afraid. thing? Yeah. <laughs> On no. potato they're playing with Wemby. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah. they are. It's just, it's, dude, it, I, I think he's number one. I think mm-hmm. it's just, it's Shaq, because people would have gone, wow, Shaq. But mm-hmm. Wemby has taken that over. I can't even think of... Because again, hockey, it just, it cannot happen. As fast as McDavid is, if you were a sports fan, yeah, yeah. he's the guy you would show people from hockey. We've oh. said before that he's the most important player to any sport because he's just so clippable, highlights. Mm. He actually speaks his mind. There's so many things. There's no him. helmets though in, in basketball and, right? and we are closer and it's just like, yeah, I mean, there's, guys are all packed in. Like, mm-hmm. it's it's just obvious how he towers over everybody. I guess if, like, if baseball was more like Aaron Judge, yeah, we all laugh at the, the photo of Aaron Judge with, with Jose Altuve. But generally in baseball, you're next to a crouched 
catcher, you're next to a crouched umpire. You're not. There's no comparison, right? Like there's That's no. It. There's no. There's never been anything like this before. It's. it's Shaq no is the closest thing. Yeah. Shaq is the closest thing. We've never had an athlete that, and and we've all done this before as sports fans. Okay, if you're listening to this, you're very likely a sports fan, or you're in the car with your boyfriend and you're pissed. Mm-hmm. And you're going, damn it! Please <laughs> let me listen to Taylor Swift. Please. <laughs> Or you're in the work truck with a buddy being like, I think this guy sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I think this guy sucks, man. You for like him. We've never, we've all had to do this, tell the story of the person, right? Sometimes we go, oh, this guy's Canadian, right? To try mm-hmm. to get that temporary five seconds of investment mm-hmm. from the other person that's on their phone that doesn't want to watch oh, sports Oh, for my with you. wife, it's always like, look how tight the pants are. Okay, yeah. See, there you go. So perversion is where you go. Yeah. Uh, Would this, Yao Ming fall into this category, JD? Kind of. Kind of Yao Ming would have fallen into this category. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. You're right. He's the guy that I'm forgetting here. And he was, he was really dominant. He was really good. He was really, really good. The difference with him is that we didn't have league pass the same way. Yeah. And with Shaq, it was Lakers games were always on TV. Mm-hmm. That's why I think about the Lakers more so is that you go, look at Shaq, Shaq, Shaq. And he was affable and people liked him and he was a celebrity outside of the sport. Right. You're right. Yao Ming, a little bit of look at that guy mm-hmm. to him, but I would say still just a touch less because of the the era that we're in, which is social media clips where we get to actually see a ton of this guy every single night. Mm-hmm. A lot of us, unless you were a Rockets fan, unless you were really watching those games, and Yao's career was so short too, right? Yeah. He just, he, he, he but was, at the outset though, right? Yeah, like, at the outset there was, you're right. Mm-hmm. That's a good one in terms of just like the, the number one look at that guy. Holy crap, this is an easy story to tell. Mm-hmm. You're right. He's definitely in the conversation. He's probably on the Mount Rushmore. It's hard for other sports. I get that basketball has real big advantages. Like you just pointed out, no helmets, mm-hmm. right? The, the Your physical attributes just fully on display. You're in shorts, mm-hmm. right? But this is a new, this is the easiest story to tell. Look at that seven foot five guy. He's the number one overall pick and he's from France. Yeah, who can do everything. Yeah. He's also he's a 19. playmaker. Like he passes yeah. super well. Like you don't have sense to say, of the game. You don't have to say that's Taylor Swift's boyfriend. <laughs> that's the other easiest story to tell. This is the team that Taylor Swift's boyfriend is on. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. an easy one. Yeah, that is. No, he's, I, listen, my kid walks into a room yeah. and, and my kid doesn't guy. know a ton of basketball I mean. players outside of the Raptors, right? Mm-hmm. But he knows who Victor Webanyama is and he keeps asking, like, he keeps forgetting how tall he actually is. And I think he's listed at 7'3, but he's actually 7'5, right? Like, yeah. Or at least 7'5, maybe 7'6. But yeah, he's, every time he steps into a room and he sees a Victor Webanyama highlight or yeah. watches the game, he's like, that's Wemby. Like, he, it looks cool too, though, because he's coordinated, right? And, mm-hmm. and with the other seven foot four guys, seven foot five guys that we've had in the NBA, yeah. they, they don't have this level don't of coordination. Don't remember Yao bringing it no. up the court. No, they don't have the I'm dribbling it and shooting the shooting it off the bounce yeah. from the three point line like when Minyama has. They didn't have the defensive instincts where you felt like, oh my god, you can't even go around the basket because he's just he's going to swat everything. He's going to come. He's got that motor. He's got that size. Mm-hmm. It's just all of it. it. It's incredible. It's so it's a, such a pleasure to watch him play. I really, I'm having, I mean this sincerely. I'm having the time of my life watching Wemby. Every night that I get to turn on you Wemby, know, when he had the 38-point game against the Spurs, I was just like, 
you know, a, a little kid just kicking, you know, yeah. kicking my feet, no, watching a, the game, going, yes, this is God. so fun. I used to think about that when the Spurs were, or sorry, when the Warriors were winning 70-plus games, like how exciting that would have been to be like a Warriors fan. It's like yeah. every night you never, you don't know what you're going to see, yeah. uh, and you know you're going to see greatness, and you know the, the rest of the sporting world is paying attention to your regular yeah. season games and what that would be like. And we had it briefly in this city, I would say the second half of 2015, after the, the Blue Jays, yeah. Consummated the, yeah. the all the the incredible trades that they did, Chulo and David Price. But that team was winning at a rate that was unbelievable, and everybody took notice. And they were still battling for a everybody spot. who follows baseball extremely closely. Yeah, yeah, a for drop sure. in the bucket compared to when you have the cool basketball team. For sure, it was. Yeah, but baseball is played. There's not a lot of other options. Like all I'm saying is, I also remember. On, I also remember in 2015 when the Jays were doing this. Mm-hmm. One of the big stories was how I think it was Fox Sports put out the poll of which team is the best in baseball. And they had four teams listed and then five was other and Raptor Blue Jays fans got all. No, pissed that's off. the Raptors. Thing. No, that's was, the, we, the other, they did the same for the Jays yeah, as they well. Did the same for the Jays. That's what I'm saying is it just, it's yeah. Like I, I wanted to talk, this is my transition in Shohei Otani to Toronto talk, which is, yeah, yeah. I, I have to talk about it with you. You're okay. the guy to talk to about is I thought about Shohei. He's an easy story to tell, but now he's that part of the story is done. Right. I, I just, Maybe he pitches again, maybe, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It feels like he's a DH now. He's just a... I mean, he says he's going to pitch again. Yeah. I mean, the guys do come back from two Tommy Johns. I believe actually Nate Evaldi was a guy that had two but Tommy Johns. But doesn't he need surgeries. to have surgery again? That's yeah, going to knock him jo- out for a season? Yeah, he's having his second Tommy John surgery. He yeah. will not pitch this upcoming season yeah. at all, but he's going to DH all season long. He did this already before. Wouldn't uh, you be telling him, though, if you're, if you're an organization at this point, right? If you were going to sign Shohei Otani... Wouldn't you go? I'll let you try it out, but like we won't say no because you can't ha- you can't say no to him. Mm-hmm. But don't you want to have it where you're going? Hey, can there be some kind of an understanding here that we're going to give you eight hundred million dollars? That <laughs> if it's not working in our in our sports science, people say that yeah. you're better off just hitting that you just hit. I mean, I guess you can do that, and yeah, he's he's probably he's. I don't even know. If, I don't even know if he's going to crack five hundred million dollars. But yeah, you're not. You aren't paying like if you're just talking about the production on the baseball uh-huh. field. Are you paying a pure DH even for the gaudy numbers that he has at his age? Are you paying him fifty million dollars a year? Like, probably not. No, you have yeah. to be open to the possibility that he pitches again. Like there's like if you include the off the field stuff and how much money can be made off his image and likeness and advertising I like him and pitching rights in the playoffs fees. every time if I'm a playoff team and and going all of a sudden. Shohei Otani's well, coming in to give us three innings. And I, I think we do this too much when we talk about guys with uh, with arm injuries that we say, well, I'll just put him in the bullpen. That'll be easier uh, on his arm as far as a wear and tear. No, no, and, no, like, no, I don't yeah. I don't know if there is actually science to, to back that up. But, like, the idea that, yeah, Shohei Otani is, like, pitching out of the bullpen a couple of times a week but mm-hmm. still being an everyday DH. And then in the postseason, maybe you ramp it up and he is, like, a multi-inning reliever for you in in the postseason i think that's something you could sell yourself okay yeah see i like that i like that too um let's take a quick break and let's talk about some of those baseball things because yeah there's some we're in we're at the very beginning i would say of shohei otani sweepstakes season yeah today is the opening day of free agency yeah and but we we've been getting the articles we're getting the quotes and the blue jays they sneaky in it good hour continues Okay, we're back. Good hour. J.D. Bunkus, Ben Ennis. Follow me on Twitter at J.D. Bunkus. You can do the same on Instagram. Like it when people reach out. 
Also, subscribe to this podcast, leave five stars, review it, do all those things. So, um, are the Blue Jays going to get Shohei Otani? <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that yeah. yes, they will. Yeah. Clearly. I think that's obvious. Like, if you're paying attention at all, yeah. Like, if you have any modicum of baseball yeah. sense, you will come to the obvious conclusion that yeah. Shohei Otani, it's just a matter of time until he puts pen to paper. It may happen today, actually. Yeah. It's so obvious. That it, that it's it, they're not going to have to let this thing play out. Probably going to happen today. I, I think if guess. Shohei came here, it would be the most shocking thing to ever happen in sports history. I don't know. They traded for Kawhi Leonard. More, yeah, but that again, that made way more sense because the Spurs decided mm-hmm. that they wanted to send him to Siberia. Mm-hmm. They went, "You're not going to play here. You want to go to the Lakers? We're going to send you to Toronto." That's what happened. Know. John I don't know Tavares why people have such a tough time with signing this one. here. Felt like oh. why, that was the local guy from here that was I, rumored to come here forever. What are you talking about? Anyway, these uh, are two horrific examples by you. Congratulations, you have won the prize of awful, awful sports takes of the day. Uh, no, the most shocking thing ever is Leicester City winning. The premiership. <laughs> it's true. It is. They were like statistically from an odds maker standpoint. I, mean, I thought we were talking was... about personnel decisions, free agency no, decisions. Buster Douglas. Okay. Fine. If we're looking back at history, Buster Douglas wasn't as crazy as. But anyway, uh, Shohei Otani's not coming here, okay? I saw in Shai's piece, he basically he had it like, hey, maybe he'd be interested in the adding Canada's fan yeah. base as a portfolio. And I went, yeah, except for there's a lot more people in America. And mm, who, he's already got America, though. Oh, but do you think he already has? Yeah, I guess he already has all of California, right? Doesn't he? Yeah, uh, no, I think the argument in the Shai piece, which was like eons ago, was written yeah. like immediately following the Blue yeah. Jays' departure to yeah. the Twins in the postseason, was yeah. that the East Coast is not something... Yes. That he is totally out on and like has, a, yeah, an inkling that it might, there might be. Face there, you went, eh. Yeah, that's the second but part of the argument. I hey, mean, the East Coast is not totally. If out. you're gonna what do else? that though, yeah. if you're gonna do that though, don't you have to think about the Red Sox and the New Balance of it all? Well, I would just be thinking if I was Shohei, who's leaving potentially a place like the Angels in part because they're not winning. Mm-hmm. that he comes to Toronto and goes, yeah, all of the core players disappointed this year. They're all down, and he just Bloody. says... Bloody. Though if we're says, comparing hey, like regular season records, though, over the last half decade, Blue yeah. Jays blow the Angels out of the water. No, there's, of course. That's that's <laughs> not the argument I'm making. I'm saying that if he's trying to project moving forward, mm-hmm. he and his team would have to be saying, okay, Springer, Vlad, and Bo all just had down years. Mm-hmm. Varsho, the guy they traded for, down year. Mm-hmm. Kirk, down year. This is the time to buy this stock. <laughs> it's their all. It's positive regression mm-hmm. season, baby. Just buy now, buy yeah. now, buy now, buy now, buy now. And Shohei shows up on the blue. Anyway, he's not going to come here. No, it's I, I. There's a bunch of different insiders that are putting out pieces. I saw Mark Feinstein didn't have the Blue Jays in the top eight. I actually clicked it and to read it to go. Let's read the Blue Jays case. And he just went. There is none. I'm not yeah. bothering with this. He just left them out entirely. Um. Anyway, that's the only thing I want to talk about with Shohei is he's not coming here, but. You texted me. Actually, you called yesterday and you said, did you know Dalton Varsho didn't win the Golden Glove? Mm-hmm. And I said, that's a tough one. Yeah. He played too many games in center field. That's it. And Chris Bassett went to Twitter and said his piece. He was pissed. He mm-hmm. said, hey, how could he have the most defensive run save in baseball and not win the Gold Glove? It's not right. Mm-hmm. The problem. BS. The problem, Chris, is that, yeah, so Moreno much got of, one. Uh, yeah. He did. Um, he got one. <laughs> 
he three did. Blue Jays got yeah. one as yeah. well. Yeah, Matt Chapman finally returned to form, getting, well, getting one at third base. So, Well, you know what? I take back all the things I said about Matt Chapman. Matt Chapman, actually a, yeah. a positive player for the Blue Jays this season. I Kevin Kiermaier got be... one in center field, and Jose Barrios got one Gold on Glove is a great career stat, right? If you have a ton of them mm-hmm. and we get to flash it up, you're saying, hey, this guy is eight, eight-time gold glover, and you go, oh, that's nice, right? Mm-hmm. But as a one-off award, it's got to be the lowest on the totem pole of I care about awards, right? Yeah, of course. Like, have because you ever we, cared? we have actual ways to, to measure defense. This mm-hmm. gold glove is an old vestige from an, an era where, like, yeah, it yeah. was only eye test. There was no, yeah. like, hey... Who, yeah. Are you an eye One test or a numbers guy? One writer saw a guy lay out for a ball yeah. and went, oh, my God, he's a gold glover. It was he told entirely everybody. reputation. Yeah, it was. It was word so of mouth. So it's like, well, how do we know if that guy's a good defender? Well, look, he keeps winning gold gloves. And the people yeah. who pay close attention... By right. which I mean see him the You're one right. time he shows up in our city yeah. or if it's in the division like a couple of times over the course of a year. Like mm-hmm. we've all decided that is the guy. Like you quite often though, those guys are well-deserving. I think everybody thinks Brooks Robinson was a legit, incredible right. third love, baseman. You love Brooks Robinson. It's your favorite guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I never saw him play, but apparently yeah. an incredible third baseman. Scott Rowland was the best defensive Merrick third baseman I ever saw. players that he never saw. Newsy Lalonde. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He'll be like, he was the greatest. Yeah. yeah. All right. No, yeah. it was it was very useful to have those markers in the past when mm-hmm. there was no way. And not that defensive metrics are perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but they're they're better than nothing. And they're mm-hmm. they're in combination with the, the eye test. Like they give you a pretty good sense. Uh, Dalton Varsho is a, a good defender. <laughs> well, let me tell you about this catch I saw. Yeah. That's how the gold glove used to work. Yeah, exactly. He was the greatest defender we ever saw. I mean, ask his teammates, and they'll yeah. all tell you he's the oh, best yeah. defender we ever saw. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I just, when it comes down the pipe, they go, the Gold Glove Awards are out. I went, ah, it's good. There are other defensive awards now, though. There's like the Fielding Bible Awards. I which, don't yeah. want to even know about that. How about Keep you just... Keep that to yourself. Yeah, just look at, yeah. I the, won't. the other defensive metrics. No, I mean, who do we need a, a Gold Glove Award to, to know that Dalton Varshows yeah. is superior to... Defender in the outfield. Does it outweigh his ineptitude at the plate? Probably not. But yeah, yeah, he can he can play defense. But yeah, that that would he better that would have been important. Something. I think that would have been important for for him Mm -hmm. to to not feel like the season was as much of a write off as it as it was in an overall sense. If he Mm -hmm. at least had something tangible to take home this off season, at least I won a Gold Glove. I was a Gold Glove defender in left field, which. I mean, he was, and mm-hmm. the problem for him That's was that it. he... It's, it doesn't matter. Everybody knows it. Yeah. All right? Everybody knows it, Dalton. Yeah. Everybody knows it. Hey, just, this is a little side. I, I do have one more baseball question for you mm-hmm. before we go. But and, and this was not planned. I'm just thinking about it. Would you, would you... You're a big baseball guy. Would you rather have a gold glove left field center fielder? Because I think he'll be center field next year, right? Kieran yeah. probably going to be gone. He'll be a gold glove center fielder. Would you ever rather have a gold glove center fielder who plays every day or a gold glove catcher who doesn't play every day? Like, which one's more important to you? I, I do think catcher is a more important position. Yeah, same. Like, I, I think because, I mean, you're winning a gold glove, I think, because you're a good um, blocker of balls in the dirt and framer mm-hmm. and catching people stealing. But so much of what you do is the rapport you have with your pitchers. And I get mm-hmm. it with Pitchcom now. It's like it's different. Maybe, maybe you're not calling your game as, as much, but you are responsible. We've seen it like time and time again, the relationships that certain mm-hmm. pitchers have with their catchers. No, you're you're literally impacting each and every mm-hmm. pitch thrown 
by your pitcher throughout the course of the game that you're playing in. I get it. Yeah, you're right. Like, nobody plays. I just watched the Yogi Berra documentary mm-hmm. on, on Netflix. You, you, nobody's playing, like, 150 games or 10 doubleheaders in a season, both ends of it, like the, mm-hmm. like Yogi Berra did 100 years ago. But, mm-hmm. yeah, to, to play, like, close to 100 games and and be part of a pitching staff that's above average and winning a gold glove, maybe, like, saying gold glove is 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 distracting from the point being a good defensive catcher yeah, even, but even playing fewer few games are, but there's a select few like you and I would agree so for me I, I thought I remember watching Yadier Molina and feeling like he was just in control of the game right like he was behind the plate and he was just controlling what was going on and mm-hmm. just a the catcher who just feels like he's dialed into everything and he, he, there's there's an impact that he's making constantly on the game. And I had that feeling with Moreno throughout the playoffs. It wasn't yeah. just, it wasn't just, um, oh man, I missed this guy. There was a real command that he seemed to have over the game. No, you're literally touching the baseball yeah, yeah. every pitch. I, I get it. But I'm just saying that I don't feel that way with all catchers. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way. I, was Did Kirk win Gold Glove? No, he was a nominee. Yeah, he was a nominee. But I'm just saying he, he was good this year, but I never felt the, oh man, the presence of Kirk behind the plate thing. Mm, I'm sorry. Yeah. I get it. He framed some pitches and he was good at blocking <laughs> balls and he got a cut. He did throw a couple guys out and he improved that area of his game. But yeah, just, I, I'm never feeling like, Oh man, don't you dare Kirk. He's on it. You know, like I, I don't feel that way. Um, was this the worst, the worst world series ever? Yeah. I was thinking about this. There was a, a stretch of world series. Uh, it was two consecutive sweeps. Um, but one of them was that Red Sox World Series in 2004, where it was, yeah, the World Series was a formality mm-hmm. at that point. Um, but, yeah, that was still, I mean, no, it was must Sox, watch yeah. because the Red Sox were snapping a 100-year uh, drought of winning a World Series. I had tickets to Game 5 of the 2012 World Series, the Giants and Tigers, mm. which was, in my recollection, will always be the worst World Series because mm. it was there was no Game Five and I had tickets to Game Five. But yeah, as far as like a narrative standpoint, I mean, I will say that I'm I'm a lot happier with the result of of this World Series that we don't have an 84 win Arizona Diamondbacks team that lost four straight at the end of the regular season, hoisting the Commissioner's Trophy over its head, and at least it had one game. Like Game One was a legit. That's it, though. Banger. Yeah, Game One was great, and yes. then the rest were dreadful. Yeah, I mean, at least you had the the potential after the Diamondbacks uh, won game two that you thought, oh, my God, this is going back to Arizona. And the potential yeah. exists for sure. one of the underrated choking dog teams in the history of Major League Baseball that was twice one strikeout away from one strike away from winning a World Series in 2011 and one catch at the wall in right field away from winning a World Series might actually lose uh, a World Series in which they took game one against an 84-win Arizona Diamondbacks team. Um, but, yeah, no, this is on the short list of worst World Series of all time. Yeah, it was awful. It was really bad. And I tried to talk myself into it when the Phillies got eliminated because uh, everyone wanted Phillies-Astros, too. Mm-hmm. It's clear. But once the Astros were gone, I went, no, I'm rooting for chaos, and I'm going to root for the uh, I'm gonna root for the Diamondbacks. I just thought, why not? Why would I root for the Rangers, who I despise? I, I don't cheer for that organization. I, I was already, I'm not like over the Moreno trade in the sense of mm-hmm. I don't wish Moreno was a Blue Jay and I don't dream about what it would have been like had he stayed on the Blue Jays. But I, 
don't. It's over. It's done. I, I, I'm not rooting against him. I don't feel as though his failure brings me any type of happiness. Yeah. Right? The the question I had following this World Series, yeah. and like not only from an entertainment standpoint, was it one of the worst in the history of Major League There's Baseball? There's just nothing but, I could point but to. From, that I liked. A, from a rating standpoint, it like, Awful. like literally murdered. was the worst yeah. rated World Series in Major League Baseball history. This was such a positive year as far as baseball, like media news this stories. That's where I wanted to go. It, I like with the pitch clock and the time of games and like the aesthetic, like it it looked better from an an aesthetic standpoint, yeah. even though the shift, the like lack of shift didn't impact the game as much as most people thought it would. Yeah. I wondered if that World Series took some of the shine off of what was like an incredible year for Rob Manfred. That was like, genuinely my follow-up question. <laughs> this was, it was such a great year for baseball and I really enjoyed the playoffs up until that point, minus the Blue Jays part of it where it was pure agony, Right. Blue Jays part of it, agony. Mm-hmm. Rest of it, pretty fun. Mm-hmm. And there was a conversation about the best teams and better ways to protect the teams with great records so that they can actually advance, right? Because there was, I, I talked to you about the moment where in, after the first, after the CS, or sorry, after the DS series, there were all these teams that won no games and all the teams yeah. that won all the games lost mm-hmm. and they didn't even perform very well. So I, I think that there's some tinkering that has to happen with the playoffs because you do. You want to feel like the regular season still matters. And at baseball, you and I were always terrified of no, this, exact, this exact thing happening. I don't think that they can put the genie back in the bottle when it comes to the amount of teams. So they have to figure out a way, in my opinion anyways, to give even more of an advantage to the teams that win their divisions and the teams that finish with great records. But... Yeah, baseball had one hell of a year. It was just such an awesome, awesome season. And for them to have their championship be that lackluster and have to have those ratings, to me, that gives me a little optimism going, hey, they've made these adjustments with the pitch clock, right? They made these adjustments throughout the game. Maybe they'll make an adjustment with the postseason format because they know they, they can't keep having this, right? They, yeah. they can't have their the World Series be a non-event. No, because hey, you're right, because... They, they did look at, like, the proof was in the pudding as far as not just the aesthetic Everything. beauty of the yes. game. Like, the ratings were up. The gate revenue was up. It was just, like, yeah. an overall good news story year for Major League Baseball when it came to, yeah, just the, the game on the field. And this was such a negative news story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's just one year. But, yeah, I, I wonder if it has long-lasting implications. For me, yeah, you're right to say that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube as far as the number of postseason teams. Mm-hmm. To me, you go full bore. Like you're at, you're you're already at this place where yet it doesn't mean. Are you want more playoff teams? No. Oh. You're already at this place where the playoff field is so watered down uh. that you've you've taken a thing that used to be something different and turned it into something else and uh-huh. added import to it. Add more postseason games then. Make every series a seven-game series. Cut mm. down the regular season. Maybe play more doubleheaders if you don't want to do that. But, like, why, why go away from it? If this is what you've decided, that we put extra import on this one month of baseball with a watered-down field, that it is just the rest of the other sports. I mean, we saw this with the NBA who eliminated its its five-game opening round series, right? Like, all the, the series ended up being seven games. Everybody does it. Like, if you've just you've, – you've already put up your hands and say, we're like everybody else, mm-hmm. go full bore here. And at least a seven-game series most God. resembles – Something that I'm familiar with where you have to use at least four starters, right? Mm. Like, at least that's part of the reason why you would hope that teams like this Diamondbacks team would get exposed if mm-hmm. if they have to go deeper into their depth chart to, to win games over uh, a week, week and a half, as opposed to just three games. 
Mm-hmm. Like, why, why not just have every series be a seven-game series? I still think that you've got to give the game advantage to the the one team. Either you play the entire – because I've heard the idea of you play the entire series on the road, right? You're the bad team. You play the entire series. Who cares? Like, yeah, the we, we've seen that. Home in the, field in the advantage stuff round. doesn't matter. It just – it doesn't. I, I don't feel any way when you're betting – and I, I, gamblers right now, do you feel like you're betting a team on the road and you go, ooh, I don't know, mm. right? Ooh, uh they, they got to go in there. There's no, that's just not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't feel that way about basically any team. And and I cheer for a team that's supposed to have one of the biggest home field advantages in all of sports, which is Seattle Seahawks, right? Yeah, nobody cares anymore. Yeah, I don't care. I don't care. I don't watch those no, games. No, Vegas doesn't way. care Vegas anymore. Yeah, it used that's... to be like a guaranteed three-point advantage for the home team. Yeah, what is I, it, like two, two and a half now? I, I think that they've got to give these teams the, it's the race to three for you. It's the race to four for the other team. That's the only way to solve this. Mm. You got to win three games. They got to win four. Mm. And then, but have it. Yeah. Okay. So be a best of seven though. Seven ish, but yeah. Yeah. Seven ish where it's like, but the the team with the better record has to win less. Mm -hmm. They've got to have some advantage because the buy is nothing. Mm -hmm. The buy of, Hey, your guys aren't going to hit and they're going to cool off, (laughs) but you get to rest your pitchers. It's just, it's not, it's not doing it for me. It's not doing it for anybody. I don't think. And I, this is the interesting one too is my guess is when they ask the players about this, the players are going to be very vocal about how from the, the losing teams, mm-hmm. they're going to say this was BS. This yeah. sucked for us. We all hated that this. all the hundred lost teams were out as like it, it, it yeah. immediate as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Many of them swept well, out of town. We, we do rust versus rest in all sports, right? And Hey, is ring rust real? Is this real? Is this real? I, I think in baseball more than any other sport, if you told me, Hey, uh, Mm. Your hot hitter, mm-hmm. your team that's hot, that got in the playoffs, that is a guy that's just scorching. Mm-hmm. We're going to make him not play baseball for a week. I, I would say, please don't do that. Yeah. You know, it's different if it's if they go, hey, Kevin Durant's going to rest for a week and then he's going to come back. And I would be, hey, that's great. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant's going to be fresh. If you're saying, hey, Boba Shett is hitting 400 right now. We're going to take him out of the lineup for a no. week and we're going to bring him back. Well, I, I mean, go, that's, that's the reason why players coming off injury go yeah. on rehab assignments yeah, yeah, in the minor yeah, leagues yeah, to yeah. get their Actually, timing you know back. There it is. That's the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much all of it is what you just said right there. Anyway, Armin just put this in the dock. Yeah, there were 9.9 million viewers for the women's basketball NCAA finals. And again, that's a one-off game, and it was an awesome game mm-hmm. where there was a ton of stories and basically everybody got involved. This all, But this speaks to how important narrative is for these games, right? Because we, we had the Angela Reese thing. It was just, it was the, the women's basketball finals last year was incredible. But they did 9.9 million viewers, and it was 9.1 as an average in the World Series. Yeah. Which I mean, you can make the positive argument about the the women's sports thing happening in in North America, but you can also point to a <laughs> an event that has a pretty significant historical yeah. um, gravitas and and yeah. But this falling is what below I mean. ten million viewers on average per per game is it, that's a rough look. This is why it drives me crazy when athletes don't want to participate in the storytelling. Mm-hmm when they want to just go, we're out, and so much of hockey is this, is this to me is just a direct example of how important storytelling is here, right? Because if this is the Phillies and the Astros, we can tell a story, and it's an easy story. This is what I was talking about with Wembenyama, where you can tell the casual viewer, hey, this is the story of this guy. You could tell the story of that women's basketball final. You could not tell the story of this World Series. It was, hey, the Blue Jays made a bad trade, and their guys are here, and what else? Uh, and the... 
The Rangers haven't won in a long time. And people went, yeah, it's fine. We don't really care. We're out. You know what I was thinking about? How yeah. you know we had serious discussions at the end of the World Baseball Classic about that being one of the historic moments of all time, Shohei Otani striking up Mike Trout to win the World Baseball Classic. And then the regular season started, and you're like, ah, maybe not. It actually <laughs> yeah. ended up being the most... Yeah. The most it significant the, event yeah. of the Major League Baseball season, it started. It happened before the season even started. I mean, what I'm are you going to remember more? The Rangers right. winning a World Series or Shohei no, Otani right. in his free agent walk year before no, the was, season striking buddy, out Mike Trout to win the no, World Baseball was, Classic? All I was trying to do was to think about another moment from the baseball season that really just stuck with me, right? Yeah. One where I went, this was the moment. No, you're, you're not right. going to think of one. No, it's, it's truly that. Yeah. That was not hyperbole. Nope, we, we we hit it on the head. All right. Uh, thanks for sticking around. Quick no break. Problem, Why is it so impossible to find a quarterback that can play football at a halfway decent, at a halfway decent way? Brady Quinn next. You know, I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy. I just, I, I generally subscribe to the theory of how many people need to keep it a secret, right? Because all of us, we, we hang out with people and we know the people who, if you tell them something, they're just immediately going to take that information and, and shop it. They're going to shop that information around immediately. They can't help themselves. They love it. They adore it. And I feel like every organization has to have those people. So in general, I go, yeah, conspiracy. How many people need to keep the secret? More than one? Two? Once you get to three, it's over. It's a wrap. But <laughs> our next guest... Our Monday morning insider, former NFL quarterback Brady Quinn, has put the flag football conspiracy so deep in my brain. I'm watching the Germany game, and I'm, it's just every ad now to me is, don't you love flag football? Flag football is the best kind of football. Flag football 2024. We're going to break it out of the glass. We're going to show you flag football. And then there's these plays, which I'm sure some – I think they're deep cuts for football fans. You got you to gotta be really paying attention to some of the fines that they've they've levied the last couple of weeks for bad hits or dangerous plays or whatever. They've been taking away some guys' game checks. I saw Jalen Warren was fined for a play that didn't draw a flag. It was like a block. Rashad Bateman, 16 grand for, again, just like a normal-looking block. Deshaun Elliott, 53 grand for two plays that were like... I, 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 I genuinely could not... I, so I keep thinking that maybe they're jokes... Some of these are jokes. Some of these aren't real. But then I keep looking them up, and it's like, nope, they're real. There's a Donta Foreman one, which is just a, a run where he lowers his head a little bit. Like, yeah, it's it's bad right now. And I'm in full conspiracy mode. Brady Quinn, uh, Money Morning Insider, former NFL quarterback. This is happening. The flag football is the new football. It's the plan is in the works, and we're gonna see it. What, 2030? Uh, probably is going to take longer than that. I mean, it's going to be an Olympic sport, which, you know, then you sit there and, and wonder and say, like, how many guys can you get that are retiring from the NFL that want to play in it and compete in it and all that? And then maybe there's younger generations that it becomes profitable and it makes sense for them to do it professionally as opposed to playing in the NFL. Maybe there's a longer career span there. Who knows? I, I just I, – it's more of an issue to me with just the lack of physicality with the way the game's played now, like roughing the passer to me, I, I don't know what you do if you're a defender. I really don't. I mean, there are examples of guys who literally the quarterback fell on top of them and they were call, called for roughing the passer. And it wasn't the timing element of it. 
it's like I don't know what the officials want or what the NFL wants these players to do when they sack the quarterback or hit the quarterback and they are going to the ground. I mean, we've seen players, defensive players, try to protect themselves as they're falling because they didn't want to land on top of the quarterback and hurt themselves. And then now we're seeing examples of the quarterback falling on top of them and they're still calling roughing the passer. I mean, last night, Hassan Riddick, or yesterday, late in the day, He's, he's kind of stumbling, like, into Dak Prescott. He's, he's trying to, like, catch him as he kind of struck he him. barely touched him. And realized him. it was a little bit late. He barely touched him. Yeah. And, and yet, they, they still get a flag on that, and obviously it improves the drive. Dallas goes down, I believe, got a touchdown. And I'm like, this is just not the, the game that football is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I, I also think it's interesting roughing the passer in particular, J.D., because you look at how many backups were playing last yesterday, which I think it was, like, eight. In total this week. Oh, I'm going to go through nine, the names that we saw yesterday. Uh, I'm going to be going through the names. And how season. many are rookies? Oof. Right? Yeah. There's a few in there. So it, it's almost as if they want to protect the starters and the franchise guys because they don't want to have to go through a weekend of seeing, like, what we saw last week. Yeah. And no disrespect, disrespect to Clayton Toon or anyone else, but it's like, you know, Jaron Hall is in there for a minute, gets knocked out, Dobbs comes in. Now it becomes, like, the greatest mm-hmm. story in the NFL right now, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yet – they, they're dodging bullets there because of lack of competitive play, where if you look at Cleveland and Arizona, you're like, okay, well, when can Kyler Murray get back after they moved on from Dobbs? Like, this team has no shot unless they get Kyler Murray at quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, I think for me, the lack of physicality is seeing some of those plays that are being deemed as finable plays now and saying, I, I don't even know what this is. I think there was one where Swift just lowers his helmet where he goes to initiate some contact. It's just a hard run and he gets it with a fine. But the feeling of whenever there's a hard hit now, someone gets hit. I'm immediately going, oh man, they're going to throw, they're going to throw a flag. Like they're going to throw a flag because someone got hit hard. And then oftentimes they're breaking it down. This happens so frequently where they go, all right, let's slow this thing down. And the defensive player actually just did make a good play where they didn't lead with the helmet, where they did lead with the shoulder. They did hit the guy in the chest. And even still, just the instinct of the official is throw the flag, throw the flag, throw the flag. And I'm watching it going, well, you can't really blame some of these defensive players for not making tackles now or not being physical enough and seeing them. We always go, it's just them wearing down the game or they're quitting during the game. And I'm saying, man, if you're not allowed to hit, what, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> you got to be having that in the back of your head the entire game. I, I hate it. I really hate it, and I'm really starting to feel it. I think it's one of the things, too, that bothers me about the way the NFL controls it all, right? Their mm-hmm. central command center there in New York, and they control it all in regards to a replay, officiating uh, in general, and, and these calls. And if you look at the mechanics of it, like you throw the flag, you, you kind of give a chance to pause, get New York involved mm-hmm. in any capacity, right? And, and then kind of look at what's happening on the field, depending on what exactly the call is. It's very different than the college level, which I actually think does a better job of it. However, they don't have that same control because each conference has their own officiating crew and their own manner of instructing the various techniques and fundamentals that the officials are using. But they also at each game have their own official replays or officials for replay. So the difference there is like you've got two guys up there who are basically deciding on depending on what it is on any given play what the call should be, whether it's targeting or not, et cetera. I personally feel like that's a more efficient and faster way of the review process. Yeah. But the NFL doesn't want to adopt it because they don't want to give up control, right? They don't want to give up having two, you know, independent uh, replay officials from sitting under the, the thumb of maybe Roger Goodell or whoever at the NFL office, being able to sit in the same room and hear the exact discussion that the officials are having 
potentially with the replay officials and the people who are responsible in New York. And so I, I think it's, it's led to, unfortunately, worse officiating and a, a game of football that's lacking the physicality that I think everyone is actually looking forward to. Listen, they're non-comparable, hockey and football, in terms of the audience sizes and the popularity and the cost of entry, all these different things. But I, I think there's a little bit of a cautionary tale with hockey right now for the NFL is you can try to take this, the removing the physical element from your sport and leaning more into skill, 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 skill. But there's a tipping point. And a lot of people who I know who are hockey fans in this country, they don't even recognize the game anymore. The hitting is basically non-existent now in the new NHL. Like it's gone. They've removed most of the fighting from the NHL. It's, it's mostly gone. And if you go to a game that's pretty boring and doesn't have a lot of high scoring or a ton of talented players making beautiful plays all game long without the physicality, just it, hockey is not the same. And I don't think that the sport is going to continue to grow because of it. I think it's going to take hits. And yeah, I think football is kind of starting to come to the same inflection point where, okay, how far can you take this thing? Because I'm not, nah, you know what? Maybe I will watch flag football because I'll have to. I'll have no other choice, but eh, I don't want to. Yeah. Um, okay, so the one thing I'll say though, and this is the, the bigger topic today, and then maybe we'll get into some of the games. But I had to, this, this has just been sitting with me and I've been trying to talk it out with friends and I've been trying to workshop this, but okay. So you mentioned the rookie quarterbacks, right? There's if Danny DeVito starts, is it? No, it's not Danny DeVito. What is it? Tommy DeVito. Tommy. Tommy, Tommy, right, right. Yeah. Sorry. My mistake. Could be Danny DeVito yes. here, depending on how many more injuries they just I, yeah. yeah, it is. It really could be. So Tommy DeVito, if he starts on Sunday, he will set an NFL record for 10 rookie quarterbacks starting in an NFL season. Um, so I'm watching the one o'clock games and this is who we were given when it was non primetime this week. DeVito, Minshew, Heineke, Mac Jones, Jordan Love, Brett Rippon, Clayton Toon, who had 57 yards. Awesome stuff. Aiden O'Connell, Derek Carr, Geno Smith, Bryce Young. Uh, and I can never, I still can't say his name yet. Bag, nay, Bagnet. I, I just, it's one of those names. I just, I can't get it. I just, oh, I can't. Bad. Yeah, I can't. It's, it's, it's like every time I read it, I, I go, well, oh, this is hard. I think I have a learning disability because I just can't, I can't get that name. But either way, that's, those are the names. So when you say, hey, we, the, the rough in the passer rule is too much, I say, no, you know what? Make it, put them in a glass case. Don't even let them hit them. Let them have the flag football rules. But this is, the point is not these guys are bad because we got in the top five guys in the non-prime time. It was Lamar, Hurts, Dak, and then I said, have Stroud, his rookie, is amazing. But then Dobbs was my number five, right? That's it. I don't know if Josh Dobbs playing quarterback for a brand new team where he's getting the play calls through a headset from his coach, basically telling him where to look before the snap, not knowing who his receivers are, if he should end up in the top five. This is, the, the question isn't, hey, are these guys bad? Because there's a lot of the bad ones. There's, there's a lot of not good quarterbacks that are there. The question is, why is it so hard to develop NFL caliber QBs. Why do we have so few? Because I think about resources that are put into football in America, right? And I know it's one country. We're not pulling from every other country like we are in the NBA where you can get a superstar like Nikolai Jokic, right? Who, who comes over, right? It's not like baseball where you can get a Shohei Otani from Japan. This is basically America exclusive, all due respect to us here in Canada, which, yeah, you know, we, we haven't produced too much. We're not really chipping in at a, at a global scale yet. But I, I just, 
I think about all of the college football teams, all of the high school football teams, the fact that quarterback is the most coveted position that you can basically play in American sports. There's nothing more impressive than for me to hear, oh, this this kid's the the quarterback, right? You played it. You've done it. You went to Notre Dame. You were first overall, like you were first round pick. I, I, I'm like, how do we not have more good quarterbacks? We're at a uh, inflection point with quarterbacks where I'm going to kind of speak out of both sides of my mouth. Quarterbacks are more prepared nowadays fundamentally than ever before in the history of the game Mm -hmm. in large part because of the development of private quarterback coaches at a young ages, kids being taught the right tools and fundamentals. So there's the element of the actual throwing motion that most guys when they get in the league, like they've got it down, Mm -hmm. right? Like you see all the drills things they do before games, they're preparing their shoulders, preparing their bodies, they're actually more prepared fundamentally throwing the football than ever before. Yet the mental aspect of the game is at an all time low from the standpoint of what's happened with the spread offense and how it's being coached at the junior high to high school, high school to college, college to the NFL. We need to bring back the huddle in football nowadays. And the reason why is because there's a lack of situational awareness, which you talk about in the huddle. There's a lack of the quarterback having control over what's being called, what's being run, what audible check, all those things. That has been taking off of the plate of a quarterback. If you go watch a high school game in America, go watch a college game in America, more often than not, you will see a quarterback turn and look to the sidelines and no different than any other young person in society where they've grown up in a world where, I don't know something, I'm going to go Google it. Mm-hmm. That's what we do. We look to something else for the answer. Go ask your parents if they went to college or people when they were young 30 years ago before the Internet existed. Mm-hmm. Like I remember having conversations about people would be waiting at a payphone to call home if they couldn't. Guess what? If they didn't have any cash to call home, if, if, if there's too long of a line, they had to figure out how to solve problems on their own. And that's the issue. Playing quarterback is, is a problem-solving position, right? You've, you've got a, a situation to play. It might not always be the best look for that defense. You have to fix it out there on your own. These players look to the sideline. They look to something else to find the answer now. So they're not reading defenses. They don't look at fronts as much. They don't understand the bigger picture of why you're running what play and what you're trying to accomplish outside of man-to-man working to a matchup or a zone, maybe try to how you're trying to high-low a player in a zone coverage. That's it. And, and I think it's played a huge role in the lack of quarterback development from a mental standpoint and what they're being asked mm-hmm. to do. And also the direction the NFL has moved where – they don't allow the quarterbacks to go in early. They've cut down on the offseason programs. That's hurt the offensive line and quarterbacks. Quarterbacks more, more so because we used to show up early. Back when I first got in the league, you would go there weeks before everyone else, and you had quarterback school, and you'd go through the offense. You'd go through film. You'd go, you would not throw a football, and you would drop back 100 times that day, and you would go through your footwork with every single rhythm of the drop, handoffs, everything. So when everyone else got there, you were ahead of them because you had to be because you were an extension of the coach on the field. And all that's been taken away now with the NFLPA and wanting to have more off-season time and all that. That has played a direct role in the lack of development of, of not only quarterbacks being ready to play, but just developing to what the NFL game requires, in my opinion. So, again, physically, with the throwing motion, more ready to play than ever. Unfortunately, mentally and how they're being prepared, it's, it's probably the worst time to be a quarterback to come into the league, especially with the league that's so fickle and is so quick to move on from a quarterback in part because, you know, you see rookies either make it or they don't in the first year. I mean, yeah. C.J. Stroud looks like he should have been the number one overall pick, 
and and everyone's probably going to give up on Bryce Young. We're not even we're not even through the rookie season yet. Yeah, I think those are those are really good points. I, I do. I, I'm guessing that there's it's just like everything where there's no one answer to it. That that's a big uh, part of this, and the pressure of the position I feel like must be so different now too because. There is just social media, right? You're you're able to get into somebody's head or someone's head is just a little bit more open for business now because you can see a million different yeah. critics. Here's, right? here, here's where I challenge that. Yep. Is these kids have grown up with it. So they're actually more immune to it than, than most people realize. Like when I talk to a lot of young kids really, eh? who are a part of it, yeah, they, they turn it off. They're not even looking at it. Someone else is managing it for them. I mean, it, it's, it's the social media thing I think is more for people on the outside I, I think it's been kind of something similar. It's just different, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, you've had different iterations of it from, you know, back in the old days where it was just a newspaper, right? So you kind of living until the next morning when whatever came out of the newspaper. That was the internet. Now it's social media. But for a lot of these guys, I, I feel like they kind of just tune it out or they're so accustomed to it. They either use it as fuel or they have someone else who's managing it and they don't pay any you know, peace of mind to it. So, mm-hmm. I know it would seem that way, but I don't even think it's that anymore. I think there's a lot of other fundamental issues of the NFL and really the NFL organizations not wanting to invest into their quarterbacks or even backups for that matter. Like the reason, like why do we have so many rookies as backups right now? Yeah. You can use it as uses like they're willing to invest so much money in the starter. We don't have any more money for the backup. No, that's just the owners being cheap. They brought back the third quarterback designation. Yeah. Every one of these teams should have three quarterbacks on their active roster. Because you don't have to have one of them active for game day. You can activate them if there's an injury to your starter and get them ready and put them in. You, yeah. just, you don't see that on every roster. Yeah. So to me, it's, it's a byproduct of that, too, where you don't see them carrying three, where all those guys are traveling, all these guys are a part of every practice and every experience where they're learning you know, what it's like to be an NFL quarterback, even if they're not playing. You know, that's, that's probably a big part of it, too, right, is that every year you can draft a quarterback – and you can grab somebody later in the uh, later round quarterback, throw them in as a backup. Nobody really knows who they are, but you can say, "Hey, this is the guy like we're working on. This is the guy that we we believe has something." And then, yeah, more often than not, they get into the games, and you go, "Oh, wait, that's not actually a somebody." But yeah, I just I I can't remember, and maybe this is just recently biased, but I can't remember a time where. I ever sat down for a full slate of games and thought I, I, so many of these are just completely unwatchable. So many of these are just, I, I, I can't believe I'm betting on this. Normally I've always said to people, I like sports betting because I feel like there's a little bit of control for me where there's a, Hey, it's not just me pressing a, a button, right? Uh, this isn't just me playing the odds of the cards. This is me trying to understand the game, understand the players and really try to make a pick based on what I've seen and what I understand and the research I've done. And this was the first weekend where I felt do How am I really supposed to, know what I I'm seeing with these quarterbacks, right? I like, I just listed 12 guys that are total crapshoot players. I, I want to go to the, actually the Bryce young thing though. Cause you, you just mentioned it about how some people are writing him off. I'm not writing him off. I do think that based on what we've seen so far between he and Stroud, and I know he just beat CJ Stroud, but that it's, it's just pretty, it's pretty hard to imagine a scenario where young ends up being the, the right pick, right? The over CJ Stroud. I, I'm more curious what you think, of Young's mentality right now. How much do you think he's carrying this around? Because you just said, like, hey, they're able to tune some of this stuff out. But he has a game where he throws two pick sixes, and the other guy sets a rookie record for yards in a game and brings his team back, and the entire NFL world is excited about him. Your team traded a bunch of picks in order to move up and get you. Like, I know this guy's supposed to be a winner. He's Alabama football. There's all these just different things about him. But 
that it has to take some kind of a real toll on him right now. Well, I think the real toll is that if you look at the course of his career dating back to even high school, it's like he's just had success and he's kind of built, you know, right from the get-go. I mean, he had success in modern day. He had success at Alabama winning a Heisman his first year starting. Like, he's just always had success. And this is the first, like, no matter what he does, it just doesn't seem like it's good enough outside of last week getting a win, which still wasn't really that, you know, remarkable of a game in, in any way for him personally. Now, they need help out around him. You know, they, they do. That's, that's part of the conversation. But yesterday, him pr- having the worst game of his rookie career, when you look at C.J. Stroud having the best game, just a week after they played each other, you thought maybe it was a jumping-off point for Bryce Young. Maybe they're going to build off that victory last week. And it was the exact opposite. Like, you, you dip back down to new lows. And so, yeah, it's got to be incredibly frustrating, incredibly hard to be able to keep your confidence and, and knowing that, look, those guys are close. They, they, you, they grew up through this Elite 11 program where they compete against each other. They know, they know each other all through when they're young. But in your mind, you're still competing, and there's always going to be that tag of, of first and second. And even though Bryce doesn't think like that because he's just wired differently, there still has to be an extreme frustration for not being able to have anywhere close to the success that he had during his time at Bama or even at high school. And, and this being the first time that he's really had just a ton of adversity. And, you know, I, you kind of looked at his game in high school and college. You're like, okay, that works there. But when he, the way he extends plays, the way he plays the game, like will that work when he gets to the NFL? Mm-hmm. T.J. Stroud's game was from the pocket, lethally accurate and really accurate downfield. That translates to the NFL. That's how you win in the NFL. So it's no surprise why he's winning their successful in Houston right now. And, and that's the hard part for Bryce is like, can he make the adjustments he needs to make with the style of play and win because he doesn't have as big of an arm and he's not going to be as good downfield passing because those windows are tighter. They're closer. And if you don't have a strong of an arm, your, your timing and precision with your actually has to be on point. Mm-hmm. And so when you take some of that away, I, I think there's some questions about it and he's small. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard for him to see everything from the pocket, even more so at the NFL level uh, than, than what the, at the college level. So this has to be quite possibly the most trying time for him in his athletic career ever. Mm-hmm. considering that he, there's just no answer right now. I mean, yeah. when you watch him, at times he feels lost. Like even the throws that he used to routinely make, he's not making right now. And and I think all this is starting to kind of weigh on him where as good as he is, he still can't overcome uh, what the team needs around him and I think what the NFL presents in front of him. It's just so many things seem to be stacked against him right now that I would be concerned it's that it's a, a lifetime of success turning into now unbelievable adversity where y- your size, your whole life, you've defied the odds with the size. And now all of a sudden you're in the NFL and yeah, he's, he threw one of the pick sixes on a screenplay where I went, Oh wow. I, I don't think he saw, uh, I don't think that he could see. And, and I, I feel like, you know, when we're talking about the developing quarterbacks thing, this is such a huge part of it is just how, Hey, the, the quarterback training is getting a lot better, but also the athlete training for everybody else these guys are just different. There's just, um, it seems like there's more of a depth of really good players at every other position than there used to be that we are just finding a way to fine tune athletes in a completely different way. Like I was even thinking about this, you know, I, I don't know if you even would wanted to watch it because they probably overhyped a program that you probably didn't love, but I watched the swamp King stock and it was really bad. So if you didn't, right. if you didn't watch it, don't watch it. It's horrific. It's so <laughs> It's what, I, I saw. I saw pieces of it. I, I never. It's bad. It's 
It's like, because we're going in this direction with sports documentaries where they're not really documentaries. They're like hype pieces for the couple people that were willing to get involved and they removed everything that was interesting about those Florida teams and they just went with like, wow, Urban Meyer was incredible. And yeah, uh, it, it, was, it was weird. 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 Um, but I, I think about a guy, like they, they brought back all the Brandon Seiler highlights and I went, oh my God, right. I forgot about that guy. And I think he was a seventh round pick and he had a career in the NFL. Like he had, he played a, he had, a, I think a cup of coffee with the uh, Chargers, I want to say. Anyway, there was a couple of spots where he played and I go, right, this, like you can have a guy like that in college who's just like unbelievably dominant. You get to the NFL and you're someone who's kind of in a rotation. And now like what that's like with some of these guys where there's just so many unbelievable athletes at every position that you bring in a guy like Bryce Young who doesn't have those intangible, or like doesn't have those physical attributes and it's just so much harder. But now you take that away where he's supposed to have the special winning characteristic and then the team's losing around you. And so that shine starts right. to lose it a little bit, right? Like Russell Wilson had that. He was small and he, he they, people worried if he could see over the pocket, whatever, but he had the athletic ability and then he was winning games. So it didn't matter if he was corny. It didn't matter any of that stuff because he just, the belief was working. He was able to win these football games. And now you can compare Bryce to another quarterback that was taken right behind him that the other team was rumored to be more interested in out of the gate. And it's just, it feels like the perfect storm to kill a guy's career out of the gate. It just, I I worry. I worry about whether or not he's ever going to be able to turn this around. I think it's an example of why when you look at the evaluation of like a Josh Allen in college at Wyoming, Mm -hmm. and then you see why he goes first round, you see why the Bills take that opportunity on him is he has these extraordinary traits that just needs to be honed in on and utilized. And, and there's, a, there's a thought at the NFL level. Sometimes they don't feel like staffs in the college level do a good job doing that. And so they feel like, we get that guy, we'll turn him into a superstar. Or we get that guy, we, we put the right things around him, we'll turn him into a superstar. And it's much easier to see when you're looking at physical traits as compared to like the mental makeup and inside you know, character and competitiveness. Mm. And so if you look at, for example, Will Levis, slides the second round this year. Based on how he's played so far, I don't think anyone's looking at him as he should have been a second-round pick, right? Mm-hmm. First start, throws four touchdowns. He throws, shows up a huge arm in downfield passing. You saw with Pittsburgh despite the loss, but he's kept him in games, and he's going to be the guy moving forward, at least, or he should be. Mm-hmm. And you kind of look at him and go, oh, yeah, like I remember that. Like He had a howitzer for an arm. Kind of didn't have the best year his last year at Kentucky, but like maybe we didn't, maybe we, you know, didn't realize he was playing injured, and he was playing with guys who aren't able to separate and get open, and things were a lot harder, and when you have John Hopkins, that kind of changes things, right? So, I'm, look, I'm still a believer in what Bryce Young's able to do as a quarterback. You put him on a team with better skill around him, I, I think he's probably winning more games right now. Sure. Um, the offensive line has not been as good as they thought. Um, outside of Adam Thielen, you know, Charks struggled to stay healthy. He had a touchdown this past week's game. But they, they just really have not been able to find a rhythm offensively. And it doesn't help either when Frank Reich turns down play call and duties to Thomas Brown who they get a win last week, this week, you know, it, it doesn't look as good. And so, you know, you, you kind of just wonder like how that plays an impact into all of it. But this has not been a dominant defensive team like they were under Matt Rule where they were a really good defense and they haven't run the football well either. Mm. So if you're looking at a team that, yeah, they weren't drafting number one overall, they'd trade up to take them. That was based on their record. But the way this roster has been dismantled and tried to be re- rebuilt this year, I think they're actually probably look at them on paper, probably one of the, the more worse rosters to step into as a quarterback and take over. So I've got a lot of patience with, with Bryce Young. I just, I hope he stays healthy mm-hmm. and they hope they start to kind of provide him some help 
because I think he's going to need it if he's going to be successful. Yeah, I think so too. But when you're the first overall pick, I want to feel like you elevate the players around you, right? Not like you have to have the perfect team because this is kind of gets to what we're talking about with developing quarterbacks. Like I'm a Seahawks fan. Yeah, and but I, we say that, but, but, we, but, but we look at Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Like no one said that about Patrick Mahomes. Like if you look back on Patrick Mahomes, what people said, oh, he's a risk taker. He's got a ton of talent, but like, why didn't he win more? Right. Yeah. And then he goes to a great situation and granted, he's not number one overall, but he's a first round pick. Yep. And he's already on a team that's making the playoffs, and he's able to go in there and then elevate them. So I just situation and circumstances paramount, no matter how much talent you no have. No question. Joe Montana getting there with Bill Walsh, Jerry, right? I mean, all that stuff still matters, in my opinion. Dude, I, I I completely agree. I think that you know one of the things I, I was talking about this like two weeks ago because I had Evan Turner on the show, and you know he was second overall pick for the Sixers, and I, I, I listened to his podcast. I'm prepping for this stuff, and the more and more and more I actually listen to athletes who are doing their own shows now it's really understanding how situations are important because we look at it from the outside and go well that team sucks and they don't develop these guys and we go okay right that's just easy it's an easy line to draw where you go okay that that team never develops right like the bears oh of course fields doesn't work the bears don't develop quarterbacks right but then you look at actually what is behind the scenes for a player who is trying to develop in some of these systems and you go, Oh, this makes so much sense. So of course situation matters. Do I think Bryce young would be doing better on a different team? Like absolutely. Absolutely. But I also just, I want some of those flashes, man. I want, if I'm a Panthers fan, I'm watching these games. I want to have at least a few moments where I go, okay, that's why you're the first overall pick. And as someone who has seen a shocking amount of their games this season, there has just not been a lot of that to me. There have not been a lot of moments where I go, damn, this is, this is the guy. This is why he's the guy. It's been a lot of, that's the guy, you know, like the Arrested Development bit where it's, uh, it's his girlfriend, her, that's, that's me. Every single time I'm watching Bryce Young, I just, I, I'm not feeling it anyway. Um, to get to Josh Allen, because we keep it moving. Are the Bills going to make the playoffs? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, mean, <laughs> I know they've already surpassed their, their loss total of what last year was, but they're, they're still capable. They're still a good football team. I, I don't know why they don't work the ball to Stephon Diggs more. Mm. Um, clearly he's got an issue turning the football over. I, I will say this. I mean, that roughing the, or excuse me, that, that intentional grounding call mm. was the biggest black eye of the entire weekend of officiating calls in the NFL. And, and I'm not wow. sure why Chris Collinsworth didn't push back to Terry McCauley because it clearly states in the rule book, if, if the quarterback is under duress if he's at um, you know if he's going to lose yardage, and that's why he's throwing the football away essentially, or in a spot where there's no one around that's eligible to catch it in, in the tackle box. He had no point was he under duress in that play, and at no point on TV did they talk about it. And I don't know how the NFL, especially with their command center there in New York, does it go? Yeah, we blew this. Like, mm-hmm. let's pick up the flag. It wasn't intentional grounding. Who cares about whatever the optionality of the route was for Gabe Davis? It doesn't matter. He wasn't under duress. It doesn't signify uh, intentional grounding. So I, I'm sorry to get off my soapbox there. I just It's hard not to acknowledge the fact that they took a chance for three points off the board. Who knows how the end of the game plays out if that's the case and momentum and all that. Never really felt like the Bills were in the, the game, though. Like it, it, did, it felt from pretty much the yeah. outside. After the first drive, uh, or sorry, the first set of drives, where they traded, and I went, ooh, this is going to be fun. And then, yes, of course, the officials went, we're going to ruin this game. This is going to be a great game. Sorry, but we're going to throw a flag on everything. I get, like, the officiating was bad, 
But it, it really did feel like the Bengals were on a different level than the Bills in this game. And, and like, maybe the Bengals, yeah. I came away from this weekend going, it really does feel like those two teams in the AFC North are the two teams now. And, and this will shift. It's, it's going to be a moving target. We had a moment with the Niners like this and the Eagles where we thought, hey, maybe these are the two teams. But I, I feel right now like, boy, the Bengals and the Ravens just look like different than everybody else. But the Bills feel a, a, a tier, the feeling that they're the tier below that, given where they're at with the window, I, I'm a little nervous about it if I'm a Bills fan. I'm nervous about it because I feel like they can physically um, get pushed around sometimes. Hmm. And, and then for whatever reason, they go away from like just allowing Josh Allen to want to run. I know his shoulder's banged up. Maybe they're a little bit hesitant with that because they, they don't want to put him in harm's way. But that's a huge piece of what's made him special, what's made their offense special. And I don't know that you can go away from it if you want to try to win a Super Bowl. I think he's got to be a big piece of them running the football, especially if they're not going to be as physical up front running the football. Look, maybe Leonard Fournette will eventually um, you know, be that physical back and provide that uh, for them. But I, I look at it and just think, I think offensively they're inconsistent at how they go about trying to get digs the football and create explosive plays. It seems like Kincaid, they're trying to work in more and – He's just not consistent enough making contested catches and at times drops, uh, even though I, I think you see flashes of what he's capable of. Um, and then, like, Gabe Davis, like, at some point, it feels like they've got to find more kind of defined roles on a consistent basis of what these guys are going to be. And, and, and look, I, I realize you don't want to be predictable and say, all right, every single pass play we're dropping back, Diggs is our number one read, but he probably should be on 80% of them. And if you could take him away, okay, great. I'll move on to Gabe Davis. I'll move on to Dalton Kincaid. But it just feels like too often this offense can't find ways of getting digs easy touches and getting in the football and targets. Same for Gabe Davis, and it seems like if it's not down the field, it started working a little bit more intermediate. But you know he needs to be a bigger piece all throughout the entire field, not just you know downfield shots that he's probably been most famous for in his career. Mm-hmm. And then figuring out another weapon outside of you know Kincaid that you can rely on. Like I just there's something about this offense to me that's not clicking, and maybe it's the lack of the plays from Josh Allen running, mm-hmm. maybe defensively the, the injuries, which have, they have added up. I mean, you can't deny that. And it's going to be hard for them to match up with the, the wide receivers for the uh, Bengals. But the reality is, is this team is a playoff team. It's just a matter of, of having getting them to play close to their best as possible with what they have left the rest of the season. Yeah, I liked that they were mixing in more Josh Allen runs. They feel more dangerous when Josh Allen is allowed to uh, put his imprint on the game with the, the run. And yeah, you know, you talk about them getting pushed around. This has been one of my biggest things with the Bills is I just don't feel like they're physical enough and that they rely on their quarterback to basically be their physical identity so often, right? What Like they need to have that smash mouth runner. They've never had that guy. I don't think that Fournette's going to be that guy. It's always been Allen. It just always feels like more and more and more. You need more from Allen and he's doing his best, but the rest of the team, I'm just, I'm starting to become, yeah, all right. The injuries. Yeah. All right. You could have added the playmaker. You could add the running back. They didn't. I just, yeah, I've, I think they're in that tier below. You're right. I think that they'll make the playoffs. They'll be certainly down. They've got a tough schedule though. They've got a bunch of teams on there that could really throw a wrench into this, but yeah, I think they'll be there. I, I just don't, I, I don't think they're a Super Bowl team anymore. I, I just, I have a really tough time believing that they are going to find a way to get hot and go on a run and, and go deep when I, when I'm watching teams like the Bengals and the Ravens and even to a lesser degree, the chiefs who we could talk about, but it's like, there's, there's too many other better teams in them. No, I, I, I would I would say they're definitely a tier below the two AFC North teams you mentioned. And Kansas, I still think Kansas City is the toughest team to beat. I, I look, I, I know it was a close game versus Miami, more a defensive game. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, 
if you take away Kelsey, they, they seem a little bit more uh, elementary with what they can do on the outside of wide receiver, but it's still Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs, Andy Reid. They spread the ball around as much as anyone and find ways of winning football games, and, and they might not be blowing out the Seattle Seahawks like Baltimore did this week, but mm-hmm. their track record of success is ridiculous. I mean, think about this. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes has never played a road game in the playoffs, yeah. ever, ever, and he's probably not going to this year. I mean, maybe Jacksonville will end up beating them out for the number one seed since they have a pretty clear path and they're playing well right now. But I, I still think that's the team to beat. If you're asking me, yeah, it's still Kansas city. I'm, I'm with you to an extent. The thing is, is I am scared about the offense. The defense looks great. And you know, McDuffie made that really strong play. They've just, they, they've been solid They're The defense looks, yeah. Top 10, pretty much eye test numbers wise, all these different things. But Kelsey, I think has maybe lost a bit of a step, which is understandable given that what he's 33, 34, he's, he's somewhere in that age range, right? He's been dealing with some injuries already this season, but the rest of the guys in that offense, there's just nothing special. I kind of like the running back. I think he's all right. I don't think that he's special. And then the rest of the pass catchers, like who do you trust in a, in a big spot? And I feel like they're going to have to win one game. That's a shootout, right? Come playoff time. They're going to have to win one of those games and, and I don't know how equipped they are to do that. I just, I have my doubts. I'm not against it. I'm not going to push back because of all those reasons you said, like they do have Pat Mahomes, but at the end of that game, they have an opportunity to put away. And I'm, I'm looking at it at the end of it saying, well, they still, still had to, you know, they, they didn't, they, they didn't have a drive. Right. I think they didn't have a first, first, uh, they got their first, first down, like a couple minutes left in the third quarter. They, they yeah. put up 14 offensive points in that game. And one of which was the scripted first Andy Reid drive. I, I'm a little nervous about the chiefs. Yeah, the, the Chiefs were the team next to the Bills, but I was kind of surprised they didn't try to make more of a move for a wide receiver the trade deadline. Yeah. Maybe they did, we just we weren't aware of it. But I, I think if you added a more reliable piece there, it's, it's, and, you know, maybe that's the case. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster, I, th- I think, was that guy last year for them. Although yeah. the irony is, you know, he has a big drop that leads to he's been like New the England worst drive. signing ever in New England. <laughs> it's just yeah, right. It hasn't really worked out quite as well. But again, I, I think there's still time for them to figure it out. And by the way. Have you ever seen a running back's legs move as fast as Pacheco, but it feels like it's not going anywhere? Yeah, no. It's, like, it's, it's very it's strange. It's like an optical like, illusion. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm like, man, he's running hard. I was like, he's not really going anywhere, though. No. It's just, yeah, like I said, it's it's it he runs incredibly hard. He he does so many things. It's just it's it's burning, 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 and then it's three yards, two yards, three yards, two yards. His stat line is the most predictable thing every single week. It's like fourteen to sixteen carries for sixty to seventy yards with no touchdowns. So the Pacheco every yeah. single week, it's the exact same one. Uh, all right. Last one before you go. Um, can we write off the dolphins? 28 point loss, the bills, 14 point loss, the Eagles never really threatened against the chiefs. There's like maybe a couple moments, the second half, the defense looked all right, but yeah, the idea that they're contenders or the two MVP thing or the McDaniel is the next great coach. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out on the dolphins. I'm not out. I mean, there'll be a playoff team. Uh, it's just, you know, I think there's still a team that's kind of, they're still building. I mean, they're, they're just, I don't know if it's maybe you point at, at two and say like, he's not going to be able to go up against the, the Hurts, the Allens, the, the Patrick Mahomes and be able to beat them head to head. Um, I'm not sure if people feel that way. I, I look at it and just think this is still a team that they're not going to be overly dominant in the trenches. That's still where the game's won and lost. You know, if you're looking for a weakness, it's probably their, their own line. They, they missed Devon Achan. You know, he added mm-hmm. such a different element. And I thought they started to run the ball better in the second half, and that's kind of where they started to make a comeback. Um, but, look, this is this is still a defense they just 
you know, have gotten back uh, Jalen Ramsey and uh, Xavier Howard when those guys can play together. It's a pretty dangerous group. Um, they're still kind of coming on as far as their pass rush. I think at times you see how good they can be, and other times they just kind of disappear. But it's going to take a little time, I think, for this group to ultimately be what they're capable of. I mean, I, I think we've got questions during the course of the season about every single team. I mean, San Francisco, a month ago, we were talking about being the best team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Now people aren't even sure where they are. And, and it's kind of interesting that just the narrative can change that quick in the NFL, and it really is a week-to-week deal. So they're still one of the best teams in the AFC. I still think they make the playoffs. It will be interesting as far as seeding goes in the division, who wins the division, where that goes. But um, I, I, I think they're, they're, they're a tough team to, for teams to match up with. Yeah, I, I just I, I think that they're, they're just whatever. They're in that mix of teams where I say, yeah, all right, you can beat up on the bad teams. You can't beat the good teams. Uh, I, don't, I don't trust you to do anything big. And yeah, that Mahomes playoff record or the playoff stat of him never being on the road, it just it reminded me of the – I saw Lebetard give this one out last week, which is – Tom Brady never played a football game where he was mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. And I feel like that's where Mahomes is going with the home field stuff is he's got to keep an entire career of that to, to match the Brady stat. Cause yeah, that's, that is truly one of the greatest statistics I've ever heard. Uh, Brady Quinn. Thanks for the time as always, brother. Always fun. Have a good week. See you buddy. Um, yeah, no road games is good. Never being mathematically eliminated from a playoff game your entire career. It's better. It's a better one. So yeah, basically Mahomes has to do that for his entire career for me to say that these are the two, these are the two stats that are side by side. Anyway, I'm, I'm at a loss with the quarterbacks. I think that was a really good explanation from Brady. It's going to be a topic that I continue to dive into. And I, I've, I've talked about this before with the over-professionalization of sports for young kids right now. I think you see it with hockey is there's, there's not a lot of creativity. There's not a lot of creative players. And that's why the ones who are, they just stand out so much more. Now you go, Oh my God. Cause everybody can skate. Everybody has skills. Everybody has ability, but you're in a hockey school now from being a kid forward. And you feel this pressure of, you have to do this because this is the path for your kid to be in professional hockey. And then you end up building the same clone of a hockey player that's been built over and over and over again. And the product's not as fun. And I feel maybe this is part of it with the quarterbacks because, you know, Malcolm Gladwell has this book outliers, which gets referenced a lot for the 10,000 hours. But the, the one thing that I always remember about it is, not just and the birthdays for hockey players and the athletes, you know, January uh, through the spring. That's where you want to have the, the athletes. That's where you want to have the kids. But the other was just the, the amount of resources that go into hockey Canada, the amount of resources that a country decides to allocate towards one sport and why it's had such a big hand in Canada producing so many hockey players per capita, especially compared to other places and how they just populate the NHL. And I feel the same way with quarterbacks is there's so many resources that are dedicated in America to quarterbacks. There's a million high school football teams. Every single college program in Div 1 and Div 2 wants to find a quarterback desperately. And yet you get to the NFL and I'm watching Sunday and there's, like I said, 15 guys that are all forgettable that we can already chalk up essentially as, oh, do you remember that guy? And you're going to be in a bar with your buddy one day going, oh, yeah. Bears fans, Bagnay. <laughs> I can never get it. Bajan. I know it's Bajan, right? I think it's Bajan, but I like saying it differently every single time. Anyway, it's bad. It's really, really bad. And I, I do. I think that the new inefficiency, just much like in the NBA when it was everybody shooting threes and there was a hot minute where 
they went, hey, this Rockets team and Chris Paul shooting the the long two, this is actually Kawhi Leonard, the long two that's effective because this part of the floor is open. The new inefficiency is going to be the kids who are just allowed to play the sport and don't have their parents at the wheel the entire time that aren't just gripping everything that they're doing, sending them to the same school because this kid went to that school. Okay. This kid did it this way. This kid did it this way. You're trying to make the clone. Just the kids who think about the best quarterbacks right now. Yes. Are there are so many that are incredible athletic freaks, right? Lamar, Allen, Mahomes, Hertz. But these are also guys that play off schedule. They're able to do something when the play breaks down. They're able to make something happen if the play isn't perfect for them. And I do believe part of that is they've got a little bit more of the playground style and the playground style is going to work in, yeah, a sports world that's moving more and more towards systems and robots and the same exact person in every single place. That's why I'm so excited by seeing a guy like Wembenyama. As I go, you can't, you can't make him something. He's not just a six foot eight guy that you're going to put in the corner to shoot a three. You can't, you cannot do it anymore. He's a seven foot five freak of nature from France who looks like he's made of rubber and is going to block everything in his orbit. There's nothing you can do to take away his special traits. I'm so thrilled. That's why I love Wemby. That's why I'm watching these games. Break away from the convention. Anyway, quick break. Let's hit what we missed. All right, Armin. What did we miss? This morning, the Toronto Maple Leafs announced that they have recalled forward Nicholas uh-huh. Robertson from the Toronto Marlies. Pontus Holmberg will be loaned down to the Marlies. JD, thoughts? He's just loaned. They're just loaning Pontus. Hey, you can have him for a little while. We want him back. Uh... It makes sense. I'm assuming that he's going to play with Domi because if they're moving Domi to center, this is not to say I'm always right because I'm not. It's just a lot. I've been saying this for what? Weeks, a month, two months that that some point they're going to need to try Domi at center and they should try to make it an offensive line. And I, Pointed to Nick Robertson, that this would be his call-up. This would be his opportunity. Uh, I want to see what the lines are. The thing that sucks with moving Domi to center is that you now bury David Camp back with Ryan Reeves, I'm sure, which is not a workable solution. It just continues to be a problem having Reeves. My guess is that the next move eventually is Reeves is gone too, that he's not going to be on this lineup for the entire season. They, they go, hey, you know what? Threatening Brad Marchand after he breaks one of your defenseman's legs with a can opener it's not enough anymore you need a little touch more from a player than the odd empty threat um but yeah david camp being the the fourth line center with i'm assuming gregor and reeves is not great it's an ugly line there's no way to make that thing work but yeah domi at least with nick robertson and who is it's not still nice i'm guessing Maybe they put Yarncroc back there and they move Nyes up. I don't know. They get really creative. They start to throw the lines back in the blender. But yeah, let's see what happens. Because so far, Domi hasn't been effective on the wing. He had one game where he made two really nice passes. Great. The rest has been pretty much a poo-poo platter. So yeah, maybe this sparks something. Maybe this forces something to happen here. Maybe this just puts him more involved in the play. Maybe the Leafs get a little bit of secondary scoring. Because I referenced this on Leafs Talk the other night, but... Leafs have four even strength goals from the forwards not named Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares. 
one of which was the first goal of the season, Noah Gregor, two of which were Matthew Nyes in the same game. <sighs> what Just, percentage chance are you giving Nick Robertson to stick this time? Based on everything I've seen so far, low. I, I don't I don't I don't think Sheldon Keefe is gonna love this line. Let's just put it that way. This is a very anti Sheldon Keefe line. It's funny because when he came in, everyone was like, the offensive guy who's gonna free up the offense and who's gonna make this team the offensive. He he's just like every other coach. He wants them to play responsible defensive hockey and be able to defend a lead. Anyway, we ran out of time for everything else. Went along with Brady. But yeah. Uh let's well, let's put it at thirty Four percent. How's that? Thirty-four percent for Nick Robertson. My fake percentage of the day. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow after the game with Chris Versteeg.